How many of you parents in the room remember the moment where you were finding out you're having your first kid? Anybody remember that moment? I'm just trying to make your kids mad at you if you don't remember. That's all I'm trying to do. <laughs> when I first found out that I was going to be a dad, it was the most unexpected time that could have possibly happened. So I'm at a 4th of July party at my in-laws house, which when I thought, you know, I was going to find out when I'm going to be a dad, when I was kind of like dreaming up that moment, you know, after I got married or like even as a teenager, like one day I'm going to be a dad, right? That moment in my life, I always kind of dreamed of like be sitting in a lazy boy, like a nice leather chair, right? Smoking a cigar, watching the Vikings win the Super Bowl. It was going to be this amazing, like sophisticated, very manly moment. And then Maddie would walk in, my wife, she would say, Justin, you're going to be a dad and be like, yes, I am. And I'd smoke my guitar, my guitar, my cigar. And it would just be this amazing, amazing moment. But it didn't happen that way at all. In fact, it was 4th of July and my wife had been throwing up for like two weeks. And so I said, Maddie, you have to take a pregnancy test. We kind of see like, are we actually pregnant or do we need to go to a hospital? Right. Are you sick? And so 4th of July morning was so busy. And I don't know if Maddie was just nervous. Like if she was like, oh man, I just don't want to take this test. I'm just so nervous or whatever. But all morning long, I was like, Maddie, take the test. And she said, yeah, I'll get to it. I'll get to it. I'm like, just take the test, right? We got to, this is an important thing. And so we're running late to the party and it's, it's the afternoon already. So we're running late to the party. I said, Maddie, put the test in the bag, put it with the pop and everything like that. We'll, we'll take it to the party. And once we get to the party, I'm going to go down to the lake. I'm going to start hanging out with your parents and your aunts and your uncles. And then you're going to go up to the house. You're going to take the test which is kind of a weird time to take a test at a 4th of July party at your in-laws house. But that's what we did. And so I'm sitting down at the lake at Lake Fanny. We're just sitting on the beach, right? Enjoying a nice Mountain Dew. And I see Maddie come down on the four-wheeler and we made eye contact from like 70 feet away. And that was like the longest 70 foot walk I think we've ever had. I could just see her eyes, right? We just locked in and we're like, oh man, this is the moment, right? I'm going to find out that I'm going to be a dad. Maybe, I don't know. And she walks up to me and she goes, Justin, and she pulls out the little pregnancy test and she like hides it. She's like, we're pregnant. I'm like, what? <laughs> right? Last place in the world that I ever expected to find out that I was going to be a dad was with my in-laws and everybody else around. Now for the next three or four hours, I'm thinking, how in the world am I supposed to hold this in and keep it a secret? Because we want to announce it when we're ready, right? I don't want to celebrate the very moment that I find out with my in-laws, right? <laughs> I'm not going to do that. So I had to keep that a secret the whole day. And it was just, it was just crazy, but it was so exciting. But as I think about it, I'm like, man, when I dreamed of this moment, I just never thought it was going to happen at a 4th of July party, right? In our minds, we kind of, we make our plans, right? We, we kind of dream up these big moments in our lives where we think this is exactly how it's going to go. This is exactly how I'm going to find out. I don't know how many times as a young kid, I hit the game winning grand slam in the game seven of the world series, but in my head in reality, what God wanted for me to, was to be a backup second baseman at a D three college in Roseville. Right? So we all make our plans, right? We all kind of dream up these moments in our lives. Where this is exactly how it's going to happen. Here's exactly how my life is going to go. It's going to do this, this, and this. But I think God tends to surprise us in a lot of ways in our lives. I mean, how many of us, right? We don't have to raise our hands, but how many of us have been surprised by God, whether we've been blessed in a crazy way financially, whether we've been healed from some sort of sickness, whether God has been our peace in some sort of tragedy in our lives, or maybe there's been a difficult moment in your life where, you know, God has shown up and it's just like, this is not how I expected life to be, but I've seen God work and this is obviously how he wants it to go. This is exactly how I imagine the shepherds felt in the story of the birth of Jesus that the Newtons just read for us. 
You know, the whole birth of Jesus, this whole Christmas season, the obvious centerpiece of the whole story is that, yes, Jesus is born, hope is born, salvation is born. But I think it's so crucial that we look at the story, that we read the story from the perspective of the shepherds. And so if you've heard the story before, you know that there were shepherds who were living out in the fields and the angels came to them, but I'm going to read it for us. Um, it's it's kind of long, 12 verses, but you guys will survive, right? We're adults, most of us. Luke chapter two, verses eight through 20. So here's how the birth of Jesus from the perspective of the shepherds goes. It says, there were shepherds living out in the fields nearby and they were keeping watch over their flocks at night. And an angel of the Lord appeared to them and the glory of the Lord shone around them and they were terrified. But the angel said to them, do not be afraid. I bring you good news that will cause great joy for all the people. Today in the town of David, a savior has been born to you. He is the Messiah, the Lord. This will be a sign to you. You will find a baby wrapped in clothes and lying in a manger. Suddenly a great company of the heavenly hosts appeared with the angel, praising God and saying, glory to God in the highest heaven and on earth peace to those whom his favor rests. When the adults had left them or when the angels had left them, weird. I don't know. Sometimes my mind just does things and I'm not even dyslexic, but that happens. When the angels had left them and got into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, let's go to Bethlehem and let's see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has told us about. So they hurried off and they found Mary and Joseph and the baby who was lying in the manger. And when they had seen him, they spread the word concerning what had been told about them, about this child. And all who heard it were amazed at what the shepherds had said to them. But Mary treasured up all these things and she pondered them in her heart. And the shepherds returned glorifying and praising God for all the things that they had heard and seen, which were just as they had been told. So kind of a long story, but what just happens is these shepherds are living out in this field outside of the town of Bethlehem where Jesus was born. And all of a sudden, in the midst of the middle of the night, right there in the midst of just doing their job, watching other shepherds, watching other sheep, an angel from God appears and lights up the whole sky. And then after this angel announces that Jesus has just been born, the Messiah has just been born, a whole like quartet of these angels comes up behind this one angel and they start praising God. Now, I want you to put yourself in the shoes of these shepherds right now. Imagine you're in the middle of your workday, wherever you are at work, right? Wherever you work, you're in the middle of your workday and all of a sudden, boom, angel shows up, a bunch of angels show up and they start announcing all these things about God, right? That's shocking. So when the Bible says verse nine in this passage, it says they were terrified. We understand why, because right in the middle of their job, totally unexpected, an angel from God shows up and gives them a message. Totally unexpected and surprising. But I think why they were terrified goes a little bit deeper than the fact that they were just shocked and surprised. Now, we have to learn a little bit about the shepherds to understand why they were so terrified. Shepherds back in Jesus's time were highly disrespected people. They had no respect when it came to culture around them. In fact, if they ever went to court over anything, if they ever witnessed a crime, if they were ever involved in some sort of dispute, their testimony would not hold up in court. It didn't matter if what they said was good or what they said was bad. Their testimony would not be believed. It would not hold up in the court of law. That's how disrespected they were. That's how low on the totem pole shepherds were in their society. But why is this? Well, shepherds obviously are not the wealthiest people in the world. There's really not much way to make money if you're a shepherd. And so they would steal from a lot of people. 
most of their work was at night because at night, that's when some of the animals would come out in Israel. And so they would have to watch over their sheep at nighttime. But at nighttime, as we know, right, nothing good happens after midnight. You know that saying? So shepherds had this bad reputation of, yes, they were poor, but because they were poor, they would steal and they would hurt people. And they would, so they, they were so culturally disrespected by a lot of people and honestly, rightfully so. And so they were terrified because what happens when angels show up? Their angels are messengers from God. And when you're a sinful thief, when you're a broken person, and God shows up and he sends his, his angels to give you a message, what do you expect that message to be? Right? Condemnation, judgment, right? If you're far from God, the last thing you want is for God to show up because you assume that he's going to give you judgment. You assume that he's going to condemn you to hell for whatever wrong things that you've ever done. And I think so many of us have done this in our lives too, in our own faith. You know, we believe that God is good, right? We believe that he is the hope of the world, that he sent his son Jesus to die for us. But how many of us have done things that are terrible? I have. How many have done things that are outright sinful and God would be so ashamed of the things that we've done? For sure me. You don't have to raise your hand. I'm just raising my hand. But we have all done such terrible things. And so oftentimes when we think of God speaking to us, we assume that it's all judgment. But what the angel says in this passage to these shepherds, he's saying, hey, don't, don't be afraid. You have no reason to be terrified because I am bringing you good news. And then he goes on to, to share that Jesus, the hope of the world, the Messiah that has been prophesied for thousands of thousands of years in the Old Testament, he is now born. That is good news. But what's so interesting about this is why would God use shepherds? Right, if this, if this Jesus, if this Messiah had been prophesied for thousands of years and he was supposed to be the one that saved the entire world, like he is the answer. They don't follow a king. They don't follow a president. They don't follow anything else. It is Jesus and that's who they are waiting for. If he has finally been born, why would God choose to use shepherds? Why would God choose to use the disrespected, lowly outcasts in society? Right? If God wanted to send this important message that Jesus has been born, like if he did this today, we assume that he would send it to Trump, right? Because <laughs> he's the most important one. We should get it to him so he could tell everybody else. But no, he sends it to the lowly shepherds. And what's interesting about this story is that God is starting to preach the gospel. Right? We know the gospel is that Jesus came to die for us. He came to die for, for the broken heart of people, for the hurt people for the people who are, who are so sinful that we needed a savior. That's who Jesus came for, which is all of us, but that's exactly who Jesus came for. And so by God sending the message that Jesus is now born, by God sending the message that the Messiah is now here to the lonely outcast people, he's starting to preach the gospel that this is not just a message for the richest people. This is not just a message for the righteous people. It's not just for the religious people. It is for the broken and the hurting and the people who are struggling with their sins. He does the same exact thing when, he, when Jesus resurrected from the dead, right? So Jesus goes to the cross and he, he resurrects after three days. Who were the first people that witnessed Jesus' resurrection? They were women, right? And, and God's not sexist and neither am I. So before I go on, I want to kind of point that out. <laughs> That's really important at this point. But culturally, women and shepherds were on the same level, it was a very male-centric society back when Jesus was living on the earth. And so women were, were highly disrespected. 
Shepherds were highly disrespected. And so God is using the lowly outcast of people in society to preach his message. What he's doing is he's saying that this gospel is not for everybody who thinks that they're perfect. This gospel is not for people who go to church. This gospel is not just for the people who have only sworn one time in their life and have never done this, but they've done this, right? This gospel is for the hurting and the broken people. Jesus has come for the people who are sinful. Jesus has come for you and he's come for me. Right, the Pharisees during this time, the Pharisees were the religious leaders during this time. They were the Jewish people who thought that they had everything right. They lived according to every single letter of the law. They lived according to every single page of the Bible. They had no Holy Spirit. They had no love in them, but they lived according to the rule book. And what Jesus is saying by coming to the shepherds, he's saying that there are righteous people. Or there are people who think that there are righteous There are people who think that, oh, I'm so religious. I've never done anything wrong. He's like, no, no, no. I have not come for the people who think that they don't need me. I have come for the people who know that they need a savior. That's for you and I. And so we are getting this beautiful message of hope and salvation that Jesus has come. And by sending it to the lowly shepherds, we are understanding part of God's character. We are understanding who God is for, that God is for broken people. God is for hurting people. And God is so passionately in love with each and every single one of us that he is willing and he wants to change us and he wants to transform us. And sometimes we think, well, why would God want to change me? Aren't I good enough the way that I am? And the answer is no, right? All of us are valuable because we're God's children, but all of us have sin in our lives that we need to get rid of. And God is offering us a chance at life. God is offering us a chance at hope and salvation that we don't have to live in our sin anymore. By coming to the shepherds, he's saying that, guys, you are thieves. I love you, but you are thieves. And by me sending this message to you, I am giving you an opportunity where you don't have to steal anymore. You don't have to be outcasted in society anymore because I can redeem you. I can transform you. And he's sending the same exact message to us. This is why Christmas is so exciting, right? It's not about the gifts. We all know that. It's not about the traditions. We all know that. But Jesus has come. This is why Christmas is so exciting. Jesus has come to offer us a new way of life out of our sin and into redemption. And there's so many areas of my life that, you know, I'm still not perfect today, but there's so many areas of my life where it's like, this is why I follow Jesus because I have lived in anger. I have lived in bitterness. I have lived in insecurity. I have lived in so much sin. It would make you guys want to throw up that I'm your pastor, right? But God has redeemed me. God has forgiven me. And he does the same exact thing for you too. That's why Christmas is so exciting, right? We're not celebrating gifts. We're not just being with our families. Hope has come. If you are sitting here this morning and you're feeling lost or broken, or maybe you've been redeemed before and God has saved you, you're a Christian, but you're just so stuck in this sin pattern that you can't get out of. Maybe you're prone to lying. Maybe you're prone to stealing or cheating, whatever it might be, or lust, whatever it might be. God is wanting us to call on his name and be free. He is offering the free gift and not only salvation for our souls for eternity, but he is offering the free gift that we can be forgiven this morning that we can change this morning, that we can be given the Holy Spirit so that no matter when we're tempted to sin, we can have self-control, that we don't have to walk in a life of sin anymore, but we can walk in a life of freedom. That is the gospel of Jesus, and he's offering that to us this morning. And this is why it's so crucial that we understand who the shepherds are and why Jesus chose 
or why God chose to send the message of Jesus through the shepherds and through the women. Because he wants us to know that no matter how outcasted we feel, no matter how lost, no matter how broken we feel, no matter how bad our reputation might be, he is the hope for our souls. He is the hope for salvation. God is so good. And there's one last part in this, in this story that, you know, I've, I've read the Bible cover to cover probably seven or eight times in my life. And I've never noticed this verse. And I don't know if anybody else has. Maybe I'm just stupid. But, <laughs> but I've never noticed one part in this, in this whole story that was completely mind-blowing to me. See, while wow, everybody's excited, right? Because the shepherds, after they go meet Jesus, they're excited. And what's interesting is, you know, their testimonies, the, the shepherds' words, they would never hold up in court. Their, their reputation was so bad that nobody would ever believe them about anything. But once they saw Jesus, and once they met Jesus, they started spreading it all around the town of Bethlehem. And people started believing in The Bible says that they were amazed. And so we're starting to see that God is redeeming them, right? People were amazed by their testimony. But wow, they were so excited and they hurried off and they shared the good news about Jesus to everybody around town. They went door to door telling people that Jesus has now been born. This is what happens to Mary. It said, all the people who had heard it were amazed at what the shepherd said to them. But Mary treasured up all these things and she pondered them in her heart. And I don't know if I'm just an idiot, <laughs> but I've never noticed that verse before. And I thought, why in the world is everybody else running around ecstatic about Jesus, saying that the hope of the world has been born, right? The Messiah who's been prophesied for thousands and thousands of years, he has been born. But Mary, it's almost like we get this picture that she's stepping back from the whole moment. She's stepping back from the chaos. And it says she treasured up all these things in her, her heart and she pondered them. I think what Mary is trying to, to teach us by doing this is that, yeah, it's good to be excited. It's good to go out and just start telling people about Jesus, right? That's a good thing. And it's not that she's not excited, but how many of us need to just sit with God and have a moment with God and be reminded of his goodness and his faithfulness in our own lives, right? Because what's happened to Mary? This whole Christmas story, while it's like this beautiful, like fun, loving story that we tell the kids all the time every year, right? But what's happened to the story? Okay, if we go back to Luke chapter one, the angel Gabriel visits Mary. She's a virgin who's engaged. And Gabriel says, you are going to have a son. And she says, how, right? Because <laughs> I'm a virgin and I'm engaged, right? And he get, he, the Holy Spirit conceives her right with, with Jesus. And so she's pregnant. And then Joseph comes into the story. Now, if you're engaged and your fiance gets pregnant, you're obviously going to have some questions, right? <laughs> That's pretty obvious. Like what's happened here? But in this culture too, if there's any affairs or if there's any pregnancy out of wedlock, that calls for breakup or divorce. And so what Mary had been dealing with after she became pregnant was one, Joseph is like, well, what the heck is going to happen now? Like I, we were supposed to get married, but now it doesn't look like we are going to. What Joseph decided is that he was going to quietly marry her and then quietly divorce her. And so she's like, okay, I've got either a breakup or a divorce on the horizon. At the same time, I've got Pharisees and, and religious people coming up to me saying, do you really have the Messiah? Are you really pregnant with Jesus? Who, who gave you this message? And they're questioning the very message that she got from the angel Gabriel. 
On top of that, she's pregnant. And you women in the, in the room, you know what it was like to be pregnant, right? It's, it's amazing, but it's difficult. It's painful. Hormone levels change. There's a lot that comes with it. You get to eat a lot of fries, but that's beyond the point. Um, but there's so many things that come along with being pregnant on top of all the pressure she faced from society. And then she goes through the pain of childbirth and then all these unexpected, really random shepherds and wise men, all these people start showing up. I mean, how many of you women wanted random people in your hospital room after you gave birth, right? No, you don't want that. So there's all this chaos, all these things happening and Mary's just kind of going through it. She's being the obedient to God. She's being faithful to God and she's wondering, okay, God, how are you gonna work in this situation? But after Jesus is born and these random shepherds and these random wise men are coming, She's thinking, Jesus really is the savior. What God told me through his angel, what God encouraged me with through my pregnancy, it's happening. And the message behind this is that God is always faithful. God is always good. How many of us have been surprised by the way that God has worked in our lives? How many of us have ever been surprised by God, right? Some of the things that we plan out in our own lives, even some of the things that we think that we're going to do for God, everything can change in our lives because God directs our steps. No matter if your life is chaotic, no matter if you're thinking this morning, hey, God told me he loved me and he said he was good, but I've got this, this, and this going on in my life. I'm struggling financially. I'm sick. I've got family issues. It doesn't matter. Whatever the chaos that we have in our own lives, God is still good. And he is working all of it together for the good of those who love him. So I wonder this morning, how many of us need to ponder God's goodness? How many of us this morning need to treasure up the goodness of God in our hearts this morning? Because I'll be honest with you, I'm going to share a little story of how my last week has has gone. About 10 years ago, my my dad was diagnosed with a, a heart disease called Brugada syndrome. And this syndrome can cause your heart to stop at any moment without any symptoms. It can just boom, you're down and you're dead. And this we found out was a genetic heart disease, heart condition in our whole family that we had never known about before. And so my dad, immediately after he had some trouble with his heart, he got a defibrillator permanently implanted in his heart. But about six months ago, he went into for surgery to get the battery in his defibrillator replaced because you do that every 10 years. And they had told him, did you know that your defibrillator went off? And he's like, uh, no, <laughs> right? So I almost died, essentially. And so he's like, yeah, we need to you know, make sure you get in for a checkup and everything like that, make sure you're all good. And so this kind of prompted all of us kids and all of us family members that we need to get into, get our genetic counseling done. We need to make sure, you know, do we have this gene? If we have the gene in our system, that, you know, that means we're prone to getting, or we could at some points in our lives get this condition. And so I went in about three weeks ago and I got this genetic testing done. And I found out on Wednesday, about an hour before a youth group had started, that I have this gene mutation in my system. And what that means is that at some point, either I currently have a heart disease or at some point down the road, I could develop a heart disease. And there's nothing I can do. It's genetic. It's in my DNA. There's something wrong with my DNA. But I'll be honest, that was not easy news to hear. It was difficult because it's one of these diseases that it's not like if I just eat healthier, if I just exercise more, which God forbid, (laughs) don't want to do, but it's not one of those diseases where I can just help myself. I can get stronger and it'll, it'll go away. It's something that's genetic and I, that I can't help. And so in the third week of January, I'm going in for an appointment to see if I have this disease or if at any point, you know, when could I 
develop this. But hearing that news that there's a possibility that I may have a heart condition, it's not how I plan my life to go. You know, if I were to choose what would be wrong with me, (laughs) I would choose almost anything else. But in the midst of receiving that news, and right now we're in the middle of, do I have or do I don't? And there's anxiety that comes with that. There's worry that comes with that. But in the midst of receiving that news, that there's a possibility with this, what I did is I didn't complain. I didn't get frustrated and I didn't get mad at God. Because what God has taught me over my 26 years on this earth is that I can make my plans, but God will direct my steps. And just because things happen on this earth that I don't like, it doesn't mean God is bad. It doesn't mean God doesn't love me. What it means is that there is sin in the world. There are imperfect people in the world. The curse of sin is running rampant all over this earth and all over this world. And because of that, people are going to get sick. Because of that, we're going to have relationship issues. Because of that, we're going to have sin struggles. In the midst of all of that, God is still good. And I don't just believe that because I read it in a book. Not to downplay anything that's in the Bible, right? But I believe that because I have felt, I have experienced God's forgiveness. I have seen God work in situations in my own family that are beyond anything else, that I can't attribute to anything else, that I can't give credit to anything else for. I have seen God's goodness. I have seen God's work. He has freed me from drugs and alcohol. He has freed me from insecurity. He has freed me from bitterness and anger. He has freed my family from anger. We have had people in my family commit suicide. We've had people in my family get diseases. We've had so much heartache in our family, but I have seen God mend relationships. I have seen God give peace in the midst of tragedy. We're not celebrating gifts and traditions and Christmas trees this Christmas. We are celebrating that Jesus is the hope in the world. And so for this last song that we're going to close with in worship, I think we need to ponder the goodness of God in our own lives. We need to treasure up how God has been good to us. No matter how chaotic life has been, how has God shown up in your life? You might've gone through tragedy But was Jesus your peace in that tragedy? Maybe you've been sick or a family member's been sick and you've seen God heal them. Maybe there's been broken relationships in your family for years and years and years, just like my family has. But God has reconciled people. Whatever you need to praise God for, whatever you need to just call out to God for this morning, let's do that with this last song. Let's remember that no matter what happens, God is good and that he has come for the lowly, the sinful, the outcast people. And that is good news. We don't have to be terrified of condemnation from God, but we can have joy that our savior has come. Right? In, in this story, the angel doesn't say that the son, the Messiah, the savior has been born to the world. It doesn't say that it's been born to Mary. He doesn't say that it's been born to Joseph. He said that it's been born to you. When he was talking to the shepherds, he said that he has been born to you. And what that means is he has been born to us. Yes, he is Mary's son. He is Joseph's son, but he is also our savior. Jesus came to save us from our sins. Jesus came to reconcile us, to redeem us and to save us. And that is good news. So let's close in prayer and let's worship him for what he's done for us. God, you are good.
And we thank you. Lord, there are so many things in our lives that we struggle with. There are so many times in our lives where we forget that you are in control. And Lord, there's so many times in our lives where we can become bitter, we can become angry, we can become frustrated, or maybe just confused that life isn't going the way that we expect it to go. But God, in the midst of that, we want to proclaim and remember, Lord, that you are the one that is in control. You are the one that we look to, that we put our hope in, that we put our trust in. Lord, we know that life is going to be chaotic. We know that life isn't always going to go our way. But Lord, you are still in control and you love us passionately. And you are working out every single situation that we have, every single chaotic moment, every single sinful moment, every single hurting or broken moment, Lord, that we have in our lives. Lord, you are working out for the good of those who love you. So Lord, may we continue to put our hope and our trust in you. Lord, if there is anybody who is struggling to do that, if there is anybody who is struggling to believe that you are good, to believe that you are God alone, Lord, would you convict us and remind us, Lord, that you are the one true God, that you sent your son Jesus to be the way, the truth, and the life, that nobody comes to the Father, nobody gets to God except through him. God, may we be reminded of your goodness. And God, for myself, as I think about, you know, what's upcoming with my health and with my heart, God, I want to be reminded that you are the one that loves me. God, I want to be reminded that you are the one that puts these things in our lives, Lord, so that we may proclaim your goodness. That even though it's not what I wanted to hear, Lord, you comfort me. You give me peace. You give me confidence, Lord, that I don't have to be afraid of you. I don't have to be afraid of life, but I can come to you with confidence. Lord, may every single person in this room know that. May we know that you are good that we can be confident. We don't have to be afraid of you. We don't have to feel like we're going to be judged by you. Lord, because you give peace and hope and salvation. It's in your name I pray. Amen.